Good morning, everyone. I'm Alexandra Seaton, and I'm going to share with you today an unforgettable experience I had 50 years ago working for Mother Teresa with the lepers in Calcutta, India. Let me say, let me start by saying that I have not yet seen the movie about Mother Teresa, and also that she was a very humble person, never satisfied with herself, and I think she would be highly embarrassed, even angry, at the prospect of sainthood. We can only judge her against our own far greater imperfections. She refracted her life's mission through Catholicism because she was born a Catholic in Albania. But I think she would have been equally comfortable as a Hindu or a Buddhist. When we met her, she was not well known outside of India and her international fame was yet to come. As a bit of background, my husband, Sidney Wright, received a trust fund when he was 35, and after several false starts, said to me one day, what should we do with what's left? Let's go around the world, I replied. And we did, for seven years, until our money ran out. We lived frugally, renting a small place in a central area and using it as a base from which to travel and explore the history, language, religion, and customs of Spain, Crete, Japan, Thailand, India, and Lebanon, among many other places. We lived with the locals, not with the expats, so as to truly experience the country we were in. I revise this a bit. <laughs> um, my husband, Sid, and I flew into Calcutta from Thailand and Burma on October 28, 1964, three days after my 31st birthday. After finding and settling into a cheap little Lebanese hotel, we went to see an American to whom we had an introduction, who we knew ran the Salvation Army Hostel in Calcutta. Over the inevitable milky tea, which I hated, we, ch we chatted about this and that. He knew India and Calcutta well after many years of residence. But for us, it was a shock following months in the lotus land of Bangkok, the beautiful north of Thailand, and the great Khmer temples of Cambodia. He mentioned a friend of his, a, man who worked with the, a nun who worked with the poor, rescuing them from the streets of Calcutta. Would we like to meet her, he said. Yes, we said. So we walked across the hut in the dusty Maidan, where the British Army used to hold spectacular parades in scarlet uniforms mounted on beautifully trained horses with black polished hooves. But the British were gone. India was no longer the great diamond in the British Empire. And Calcutta, well, Calcutta was a place to escape from except that most of Calcutta was one great slum of migrants who had fled desperate poverty in the countryside, escaping into the lodestone of the great city, hoping to find work. We walked through increasingly narrow, dirty streets until coming upon a very large shed, which... Can you hear me properly? Okay. Um which seemed to occupy an entire block. From the doorway, we saw row after row of cotton pallets, 
on the floor, each occupied by an inert body covered with a dirty dhoti or ragged sari, the universal clothing of the poor in India. Occasionally, one would cry out or writhe on the thin mattress. Beside each was a, a, a tin mug and a plate. A tiny little woman, less than five feet tall and thin as a rail, in bare feet and dressed in a white cotton sari bordered with blue stripes, walked briskly up to us, warmly greeting our companion from the Salvation Army in accented English and turning to us with an inquiring smile. He introduced us, two travelers from Mexico, who had been interested to meet his friend, Mother Teresa, and see the work that she was doing. She wasted no time. Would you like to help? I need more hands to help. I always need more hands to help. Yes, said my husband after a second's hesitation. Uh, Yes, we would. I agreed as she looked at me. And so, almost casually, belong one of the most memorable experiences of our seven years' travel around the world, and indeed of my entire 82 years. I need someone to help with the lepers, she said. Come tomorrow morning before, before sunrise, while it is still cool, and I will get you started. Mother Teresa was not particularly well-known when we knew her except in India. She told us once with a little grin that that the fabulously wealthy Mr. Tata complained to her that it was incredibly expensive to keep her so poor. Tiny as she was, she seemed to be an almost incandescent point of energy, totally focused on the work she had undertaken. She had no qualms about asking for money or for help, as she had so swiftly annexed Sid and me. And she was irresistible, as she lived totally what she believed, without an ounce of visible ego. We learned that she ate the same simple, cheap food she fed to the people she rescued from the streets each night, bringing the very sick to her shed. uh, Bringing the very sick to her big shed, she said, to die in dignity where they are loved. With food and care, she often brought them back to life and health, rather than dying on the street like abandoned dogs, as she would say sadly. The following morning, we showed up at her door, having had a breakfast of beans and chapatis, much like breakfast in the Mexican countryside of beans and tortillas. She gave us each two buckets of simple food to carry, chapatis, some kind of cooked grains, a thin gruel, and a scoop, and led us down 10 or 12 blocks. Here is where I need you to work, she said, with my lepers. They are wonderful people. We stood at the entrance of a long, somewhat narrow street, but rather than houses or huts on each side, there were simple openings, some with a cloth hanging across. At the far end was a water tap. The street was unpaved, just clay smooth with the polish of bare feet. As we appeared, people filled the doorways, standing or sitting quietly, with faces of welcome. I was struck by how extremely clean the street was, with none of the debris cluttering most of the rest of Calcutta. A handmade broom of thin branches bound together 
leaned against a wall. Mother Teresa entered the first doorway and motioned us inside. It was a small, bare room, the only light coming from the entrance. Inside, a man was sitting on a mat and leaning against the wall, a tin plate in his hand, a tin cup beside him. I suddenly saw that his legs were missing from the legs down, from the knees down. The nun greeted him warmly in his own language, and he gave her a radiant smile in reply. She put a generous scoop of food on his plate with a chipate and filled his cup with the thin gruel, uh, with the thin gruel, motioning to us to see the amounts. And so we went from opening to opening on each side, down the street, delivering breakfast to the people, as Mother Teresa gave us a running commentary on them and their lives. Some had no arms or hands or legs or ears or noses. She explained that the ones with legs helped those without, those with arms the same, often carrying water from the single tap uh, to those who could not get to it. Some who were less debilitated in the early stages of their illness swept the road. She inquired about each person. She had a phenomenal memory for names and made notes about those who needed bandages or other help as their sickness advanced. Indians have a horror of leprosy, which is why they were all segregated in this one street. And as far as the authorities were concerned, encouraged to die. Only Teresa fought for them with the bureaucracy, fed them, cared for them until they died, and then arranged to take their bodies to the ghats for, the, for a decent cremation. There was no cure. For them, leprosy was not only a death sentence, but exile from all society except their own, including from their families. For three, for three weeks after she had shown us how, we carried food to the lepers morning and night. Language barriers were bridged with smiles, grimaces of pain, hand and body language. We made notes about problems and took them to Mother Teresa when returning the empty buckets, identifying people by the numbers painted over their doorways. It was an indelible and immensely humbling, I, I can't see, oh, okay, uh, lesson to Sid and me of depth and height of the human spirit. How one tiny indomitable woman could lift the morale of a street full of people, everyone facing dreadful death, inspire them to the daily acts of courage and charity when the world had thrown them aside shown that greatness of soul hides in completely ordinary people, irrespective of pain or poverty. Perhaps Christ meant that when he said it was harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, and that Mr. Tata alluded to it when he said wryly how expensive it was to keep Mother Teresa poor. In the evening after leaving Mother Teresa, Sid and I walked back to our hotel along sidewalks lined with people sleeping on the streets. One sometimes had to step over them, to step over feet to get past. Teresa sent out helpers each night 
to find the sickest and most desperate and bring them into her shelter for food and care and perhaps to die with dignity. It seemed almost obscene to go back to our comfortable little hotel, order a good supper and perhaps walk around for a while in the cool of the evening, admiring the buildings of the British Raj or a Maharaja's ornate palace. To this day, I never take for granted the clean, comfortable luxury of the life that I was so lucky to have been born into. It was a searing experience. It never occurred to us to worry about catching leprosy ourselves. It's not easily transmitted. But I remember feeling guilty each morning as we returned to our simple but clean and comfortable little hotel for a cool shower and a good breakfast before setting out on the day's adventures to historic monuments, museums, the USIS library, perhaps a festival of classical Indian dance and music, going from a nadir of human wretchedness to the comfort and security of delightful unimportance. I fled the family bosom at 19 and made my own way thereafter, taking for granted an excellent education, successful family, plenty of food on the table, a life of privilege I enjoyed in my childhood. So why at 32 did Teresa and the lepers make such an indelible impression on me? Uh, did that, how did that experience change my life? When I was nine or 10, I loved to sleep out in the apple orchard on summer nights in New Hampshire. I would lie in my sleeping bag looking up at the stars thinking the movement of the stars is like my movement. Their heat is the same heat in my body. The atoms are the same as the ones that make up me and everyone and everything else. We all move together in a sort of heavenly dance. I am the same as the stars, part of the universe. We are all one. I belong to the universe. When I worked with the lepers, that profound early revelation extended to them. They, too, were equally part of the universe, part of me, I of them. We shared the same humanity. There but for the grace of God and luck, perhaps even karma, went I in pain, hungry, terribly dying. And their loving care for each other was a profound lesson for my own humanity, if I could accept it. Their gratitude for the simplest food, their love of the little nun who cared about them. Who knew their histories? Perhaps a careful, carefree childhood, caring parents, wives, husbands, children, loved and lost, abandoned by a horrified society as the dreadful disease slowly devoured their lives. So I, a child of privilege, banged suddenly and hard against the opposite, mediated and somehow deeply explained by the incandescent spirit of a lady with total commitment to our common humanity. But we also share her humanity if we can summon the strength of soul to admit it. The opposite of ego, possessions, and fear. fear. So she is the template against which I view 
the purest spirit of human possibility in this boundless universe we share and for now call home. I end with a poem by William Blake, which could have been written for the extraordinary woman who I was privileged to meet so briefly, and which to me describes her perfectly. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night, what immortal hand or eye dare frame thy perfect symmetry? Thank you. <laughs>